The Politocrat is brought to you by the great people at Anchor. Anchor is such a great place to go if you want to get started in podcasting. And it's easy and it's free. Anchor, marvelous stuff, marvelous. And I'm so grateful to the folks at Anchor for getting me going with The Politocrat. If you want to get going and be heard on Apple, on Spotify and everywhere podcasts can be, Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to another edition of The Politocrat. I am Omar Moore. It is Monday, April the 13th, 2020. And here we are. For some, it is a bank holiday Monday, particularly if you are in the UK. For many of the rest of us, it is another day, another day dealing with a pandemic and all of the things that a pandemic exposes to us and gives us challenges to cope with. How are you coping? It's a question that I'm going to keep asking because now is the time to continue to be compassionate and turn to each other not against each other now is the time for care and consideration now is the time for love and affection now is the time for empathy and this must continue beyond this pandemic when this pandemic is over with we must continue to practice compassion and empathy and care and consideration and respect these are things that must continue we must be more humane to each other So that's just a thought on this Monday. I guess another thought or actually a question I have, if you are in the United States listening to this, do you have your stimulus check yet? Because a lot of people are saying that they don't. The stimulus checks were supposed to go out, I think, this week or last week. I don't know if people out there have received their checks yet. And I forgot how much you have to make. I think it's around $75,000 or less to get one. But I want to ask you, have you received your stimulus check yet? If any of that applies to you. So that's just another thought that I had another um, idea or just an expression of one to start this week off with. There's going to be another stimulus package at some point. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, has been talking about this and it's going to happen at some point, maybe in the next month or so, maybe the next four or five weeks, maybe uh, in that time frame. So let's find out what happens. We'll Keep an eye on that. I'll certainly be talking more about that. 
Before the main thoughts of this episode are entertained, I wanted to get to some headlines. Now, we of course have seen a few things over the last 24 hours. Um, There was a nurse, and I mentioned this on yesterday's episode, Donna Campbell, um, an NHS worker nurse who had passed away from COVID-19. May she rest in peace, Donna Campbell. A number of other health workers around the world have perished. You have a lot of doctors who have lost their lives while trying to save the lives of others. You've had a lot of nurses passing away as well while trying to care, comfort and save the lives of others who have been afflicted with COVID-19. Boris Johnson released from hospital. Uh, Of course, you know that from Sunday. A nurse who had been taking care of him was um, calling the whole thing surreal experience. And he was in intensive care last week. Today in Wisconsin, the votes are being tabulated. They are being counted. Remember that infamous primary held last week during the pandemic where you had long lines of people in Milwaukee and elsewhere waiting to vote in Milwaukee County where they had shut down 175 of the 180 precincts. That's where you had these long lines, really long lines of people. Now, the votes will be tabulated today. It is not clear, however, whether there will be a result announced today. Considering, obviously, the turnout was a lot lower than it would have been had there been no pandemic and had there been an election perhaps delayed until the summertime. Maybe they will have the vote today. They will probably have a result. Who knows? We will find out about that in short order. Three names in the UK synonymous with entertainment or sport. So Sterling Moss passed away uh, in his 90s yesterday. He was regarded as the greatest race car driver never to win a Formula One race title. Sterling, so Sterling Moss was, I believe, 91 years of age. Tim Brooke Taylor, the comedian and actor who was part of the goodies back in the days in the UK, also has passed away. He passed away from coronavirus. Tim Brooke Taylor was one of the funniest people around. And a very astute person with a lot of wit and humor. He was someone who will be dearly missed by those of us, including myself, who remember him fondly. 
back in the day as a member of the goodies was also an actor as i said and somebody who made the world made the uk laugh and boy do we need laughs right now in the midst of what is not funny at all in this world and another person who has certainly gained a lot of acclaim peter benetti the goalkeeper for the English football club Chelsea, who was a legend and also was an England goalkeeper, the backup to um, Gordon Peters, passed away yesterday as well. He was called the cat because of his reflexes in his hands. And he was able to be one of the most acclaimed goalkeepers at the time in the 1960s into the 70s for Chelsea and for England. Peter Benetti, a.k.a. The Cat, has passed away. A couple of other things here. George Stephanopoulos announced today that he has tested positive for the coronavirus. No symptoms, nothing at all, asymptomatic. He says that he is well. Feeling good, feeling great, feeling well. Although he didn't look well this morning on Good Morning America. At least that's the way it looked to me. And there's clips of him talking about being tested positive all over um, social media and the internet in general. So you can find those. His wife actually does have coronavirus. And of course, as he described on Good Morning America this morning, he described that he... Um, got it because, you know, he's in close contact with his spouse. There wasn't any kind of physical distancing in their home, unlike Chris Cuomo, who has a, you know, has clearly done that with him and his uh, his children and his, and his spouse. Um, he has a basement that he stays and he lives in. And so as to protect them, but obviously that was not the case with George Stephanopoulos, he um, obviously did not practice any physical distancing. So I hope that his wife recovers um, well, and apparently she is improving. Um, she has the she has the virus and and is really suffering with it, or had been really suffering with it. George Stephanopoulos um, was tested positive, and he's been fine. Um, so anyone can get this virus, and as I've talked about it before um, many times, that um, there's a lot that we still don't know about this virus, and there's a lot that we do know. It is very contagious, extremely contagious, and can be caught in a number of ways. And the CDC has talked about this, that really people, quite frankly, according, and they didn't even say this, um, but their report makes it clear you should be at least 13 feet apart. So that's twice as much the distance, more than twice as much as what we've been told. So that's something to think about as I go through the headlines of the day. Racial slur made by NASCAR star Kyle Larson during a virtual race on Easter Sunday. It was an online racing platform, and I guess it was broadcast to an audience on social media or something and live streamed 
and he said N in during the uh, virtual race. <sighs> so there you have it, Kyle Lawson's racist ways. And it's interesting that the Associated Press says, well, you know, he's, uh, he's half Japanese. Like that has anything to do with his racism. <laughs> oh, dearie me. Dancing Queen from ABBA. Wow, ABBA. You know, I love them still. <laughs> and I am old enough to remember this song in the day, uh, in the 1970s. One of their most famous songs, and they have done so many great tunes over the years. And it's just really great to have that nostalgia. I actually get goosebumps. <laughs> You like ABBA? Yeah, I do like ABBA. I love ABBA. And so sue me. Um, I get goosebumps when I either listen to them, listen to their music or watch these videos. Because I remember these videos so well um, back in the 1970s. And, and I remember um, just having this immense sense of joy when a lot of their songs would come on. At least the more upbeat ones. There were some, mel <laughs> there were some melancholy ones as well. ABBA, just one of the great supergroups, megagroups uh, of many years. And they still live on uh, through their music and through nostalgia. They're still um, around. I don't know that they really tour together. They don't, I don't know if they have a reunion going. Um, there have been some great museums and galleries over the year in various parts of the world um, saluting the great 70s supergroup ABBA. And into the 80s, of course, they for some great songs, but their heyday was really the 1970s with tunes like Waterloo and Dancing Queen and, and, and a number of others um, that punctuated that decade and then into the 1980s with Super Trooper and all of those kinds of tunes. So ABBA, well, the reason I start with ABBA here is because they're from Sweden and the topic here, the main idea today in this episode is about Sweden and what on earth is going on there, quite frankly, if uh, excuse my uh, crudeness. Sweden is one of the most advanced, if you will, countries on the planet in Scandinavia. Sweden is just one of those kinds of countries that gets it right, like Denmark, like Norway, like Iceland, like Finland, places where the healthcare, like most other parts of the world, except for the United States of America, has great healthcare, advanced healthcare, has protects, protects all of its citizenry 
with the kind of single payer health care that we are still having problems getting our heads around here in the U.S. You know, whoa, single pair. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We can't do that. We can. Anyway, Sweden uh, has great, great health care. They have strong environmental policies. They have a really, I think, good grip and grasp on everything. The economy there has been good. The unemployment rate is very low there. Um, of course, that's changing with this virus. But Sweden has, generally speaking, been one of the beacons in this on this planet. But Sweden has begun over the last five or six years to really turn a corner over a cliff. And so there's been a lot of different things going on in Sweden. Look, Sweden used to accept a lot of refugees and accepted something like 50,000 of them in the last, I don't know when it was, maybe the last five years or so, or maybe a little less than that. And all of a sudden it stopped. The current prime minister, Stefan Lofven, who is part of the Social Democrats, that is the, I guess they are viewed as the more left-leaning party. Not the furthest left, but more left than many of the others. You, you, you know, you have, you have um, the Social Democrats are the most, I guess they are one of the most liberal parties in, or the left-leaning left parties in Sweden, and the Greens are as well. And what's interesting is about Sweden, there's a number of things. Stefan Lofven has, or did have, maybe still has, an all-Swedish, or excuse me, an all-female or majority female, let me say that, majority female cabinet, in his administration there. And that happened, I think, sometime over the last year or so. For the first time, it was a majority female cabinet in Sweden. In fact, back in, it may have happened a little bit more than a year ago, but I remember back in 2017, there was this famous picture, and I've referred to it before in an episode I did on female leadership uh, about a week or so ago, where you have... And I referred to this then. You have a picture of the climate change, the climate minister, who is a woman who signed an accord to strengthen uh, Sweden's uh, environmental policies in, in certain areas, fossil fuel bans and all kinds of other things. And the picture that the minister tweeted out was a picture of her signing this uh, accord with about seven or eight other members of the cabinet, all female members um, were standing there in, in the cabinet. And, and that was tweeted at Donald Trump and everybody else. Because, of course, Trump, of course, has his signing ceremonies with all men, all white men as well, on top of that. And I just thought it was a really good troll by the Swedish climate minister, who, who she was there signing an accord and the other seven people standing there were all women, all part of the cabinet. 
So Stefan Lofven is viewed as a left, more left-leaning, and certainly the Social Democrats are for a more left-leaning uh, party. But what, but what you've got now is something that's very interesting. There was an impasse in terms of forming a government, and it, it was well over, what, three months, four months of this kind of deadlock. And only last year, at the beginning of the year, of last year, did Sweden actually have a new government. And they had to get it through this agreement where Stefan Lofven, to, to stay in power with his Social Democratic Party, did an accord with the Greens, which was, not, was never really going to be that difficult, since the Greens are much more... Um, regarding, you know, they were much more aligned ideologically. They had to get the center party, which is more centrist to uh, right, and the liberal party, which is also more of a uh, centrist party, to get a coalition together to stay in power. And I think that that, you know, that's really remarkable. And what happened is, is that the left party, which I think is probably the most um, left party, left wing party there is in Sweden, said, I'm not joining. We're not joining your coalition. This is an unholy alliance. You are joining with the center party, which is a center right party. And and. Um, The liberals, and the liberals are really a right-leaning party. They're more of a libertarianist party, as far as, as my knowledge goes. And if someone from Sweden's listening or knows anything about Swedish politics, they can let me know if I am right or wrong at the popcorn R-E-E-L on Twitter. But what you, what you had is this extraordinary coalition of these two left-leaning and left-wing parties the exit of the furthest left party called the left party. They said, no, we're not part of it. We don't want any part of this. And the Social Democrats under Stefan Lofven and the Green Party had this coalition with the Centre Party, which is a centre-right party, and the Liberals, which are a libertarian right-wing party, kind of a right-leaning right, they're libertarians. And those two parties, the Centre Party and the Liberals, broke with this alliance um, of the right wing. They they broke with these members. They said, no, we, we're gonna we're gonna join this coalition. And then you had the ultra right wingers, the Sweden Democrats. The Sweden Democrats are the furthest right wing party. They are a uh they are a ultra right wing party, I would call them, in suits and ties and blouses and dresses. I mean that's really what the Sweden Democrats are this far-right, nationalist, racist party. And they claimed a large share of votes, not quite enough, but they gained an increase in their voting populace, in their voting power, in their power in the Swedish parliament. So what you've had, is this comes in the backdrop of increased immigration in Sweden. This comes in the backdrop of 
a rape law that was passed in 2018 and it's a I think it's a good law. It's a, it's a stronger law than what most countries have where Sweden had approved a new law and it's in law now in Sweden where sex without consent is rape. And yeah, of course. I mean totally that's true. But what they've done in Sweden is to say even when there is no force involved and no threats involved in that, any kind of sex without consent is rape. And of course that's true. But it's just that only very few governments, sadly, in the entire on the entire planet have recognized that as such. Now, this law went into effect in July of 2018. And what has to happen is, is that the two parties must give verbal consent. So there must be verbal consent by both parties given. There must be verbal consent. So there has to be more communication between the individuals involved. And both of them, there must be a consent between them both. And if there is not, whether there is force, whether there is not force, that is rape. And there are only other, I think, six other countries that back that have the similar kind of thing where sex without consent is rape. I mean, this is something that, by the way, that every country on the planet should be doing. Obviously, if there's no consent to sex, it is rape. If, if you're then, you know, I mean... Why would anybody have a problem with that? Well, there's only six countries on the planet, at least as of uh, 2018, according to Amnesty International, who have a law similar to this. In the UK, in Ireland, in Belgium, in Luxembourg, in Germany, and in Cyprus. Those are the six places on the planet. And all European countries, all of those where this is the case. So there's this backdrop of these increased amounts of rapes in Sweden. Certainly in 2017 and 18, there was this really obscene, obscene court decision that allowed three men to be acquitted from the rape, the really brutal rape of a, of a minor, of a 15-year-old girl. I'm not going to go into the details. It's, it's very graphic. And um, some might say, well, you should go into the details to highlight the horrors of this. But I don't think I should be doing that. Um, where necessary, I will provide advisories and warnings in advance. But you can read about this case. It was one of the most ugly, obscene, vile cases regarding rape and then the court's wholesale disregard for the integrity agency and personhood of that 15-year-old young girl that I have ever read about. There are other horrendous cases as well. This one was one of the most sickening ones I had heard. Sickening because of the violence committed against this young, young girl, but also this 15-year-old girl or anyone in that position, I don't care how old they are, 
It's violence and it's evil and it's sickening. It's got to end. The other thing that really repulsed me is the court's decision and the attitude of that court. I'm sure they were all men or mostly men. It was just horrifying. So then all all of these things were going on in Sweden, are going on in Sweden, the rise of immigration. Then this whole thing that was coming out, oh, well, these immigrants are the ones responsible for this. Even though about roughly half or less than half of those rapes were committed by so-called immigrant populations, around 50 plus percent. But even before, uh, even when immigrants were coming in, the rate of rape in Sweden went down. So this to me, I mean, this is not, I mean, in Sweden, it seemed that there were people, uh, maybe right-wing groups, maybe not right-wing groups, who were making the issue of rape in Sweden, oh, it's about these immigrants. Well, by the way, the conviction rate for rape in Sweden is extraordinarily low. And this is amongst a society that, I mean, was reporting it. I mean, this is pretty darn clear cut. Sweden reports rapes. And they report them higher than anyone else does. And... According to the National Council for Crime Prevention, if you look back from 2008 through 2017, the reports were over 5,000, 6,000, 6,000, and over 6,000, and those numbers grew, generally speaking. But the rates of conviction lowered over those years. So you had this dichotomy that... As the reports of rape were growing and increasing from 2008, this is before the immigrant population was, supposed, was, was, was invited in, was amnestied in, was, was offered refugee status. And it was only around, I think, 2016 or 17 where this happened, where they started to bring in these immigrants, 2015, 16, around there. But way before that, seven, eight years before that, there were more in, there were increased reports of rape, but again, the convictions were lower and lower and lower and lower. So Sweden has a huge problem now relative to everything else there with rape. And one of the responses to trying to arrest the issue of rape in the country is to pass this law of Verbal consent only. To have consensual sex. And I think that that's a good idea. Because I've always advocated that any kind of... That sex is inherently consensual. Now that may be a controversial position to take for some. But I've always said that sex itself is inherently consensual. The act is. 
Because if it's not sex, it has to be rape. It is rape, right? I mean, that is, you know, rape is violence. Rape is power. So, you know, maybe there are some people who will profoundly disagree with what I've just said. But I don't think it's really that controversial. If you are engaging in sex, I would say that it is inherently consensual. But I think the the point I'm making here is that the Swedish law, I think, is a very good one. And it should be implemented in every country on the planet. But Sweden has these other additional issues as well with how power is being shared. Because this coalition in Sweden is a very tenuous one. The PM, Stefan Löfven, has done an about-face on immigration. He has turned around and said, no more of you are coming in here. That has not changed the fact that violence against women continues in Sweden. And now he's going full bore, it seems authoritarian in a way, because he now has loosened, he's given this very loosey-goosey attitude to social distancing. You've got people congregating in Sweden like it's just another day on the planet, like there's no pandemic going on. It's a really odd thing. And I'm just wondering if Stefan Lofven is doing this to try to fight off this right-wing group, the Sweden Democrats. I am wondering if that is why he is really doing this. This is a herd immunity situation. And is Stefan Lofven willing to engage in herd immunity in order to stay in power? Is that what he's doing? It's a very deeply problematic thing. Swedish rates have gone up, by the way, of death. I think it's around six or seven thousand in Sweden. Sweden has a population of nearly 10 million people. So I am quite frankly at a loss for why he's doing this. And I I think it's to, to stay in power. But it's a very dangerous, reckless thing to do. He's now being called a right-wing socialist because he is a socialist. He is on that spectrum, at least. And he's being called, in some places, a right-wing socialist. So he's actually got this coalition of people where there is a, this is incredible to me, this right wing party 
And what he's got now in uh, Sweden is this right-wing center party, or, you know, which is a centrist right party, and the liberals. And these are centrist right parties, right-wing parties. Libertarian party, excuse me, the liberal party, which is a right-wing libertarian party. It, this is just incredible to me. And we're seeing this, quite frankly, in other parts of the world. In Israel right now, we've got this really bizarre... I mean, these guys are both right-wingers, Netanyahu and Benny Gans. And both of them are, are right-wingers. But they've got this coalition going on right now. Netanyahu, who's been indicted in Israel and still is the prime minister, is sharing power or at least having this coalition alliance with Benny Gans. And that's been going on and off now for the better part of a year, a year and a half, back and forth, a year or so. I mean, they've been going back and forth, back and forth on this. And they've been having election after election after election. And there's the stalemate there. We've seen it in the UK. You've had this up until recently in the UK where you have this power sharing. Under Theresa May's government, you had that with the DUP. She had to force forge an alliance with this really far right wing group called the DUP, the Democratic Unionist Party. It's just incredible in Northern Ireland. She had to forge this. I mean, these guys had such radically right wing ideas that were so far out in the extreme. You know, they were anti-choice. They were, I mean, their, their policies were so bad. But Theresa May, to hold on to power, had to get this coalition to keep her seats in Poland, to keep the Tories in power. And so she reached out to the DUP. And the Democratic Unionist Party um, propped her up until they couldn't anymore with Brexit. And then Boris Johnson said, well, we're going to say, uh, say goodbye to you guys, DUP. And they did not vote for him and did not back him in the last election. And Boris Johnson just got this huge mandate. So my, I guess my thought is, and this is happening in other countries where there's this sharing of power. It happened in 2010 in the UK as well, when there was a coalition between the liberal Democrats, led at the time by Nick Clegg, and the conservatives, led by David Cameron. And that was a coalition government for five years. So you had the liberal Dems, or liberal Democrats, or the Lib Dems, as they're called, sharing power with the conservatives for five years. How did that turn out? Not very well for the Lib Dems, who now are um, a party, really, that is quite rudderless at the moment, as is the Labour Party in the UK, although Sakir Starmer is trying to rebuild, and other people in the Labour Party are trying to rebuild their image and their brand because, my goodness gracious, they have a long way to climb after the humiliation of last December. Hadn't, you know, they, they hadn't had a defeat that large since 1933. That is how bad it was for the Labour Party in 2019, right at the end of the year. But what we're seeing in Sweden is this thing about power sharing, is this idea, how much are people willing to do to hold on to power? Kill a population with herd immunity, that's happening in Sweden. And sweet, and it's incredible because Stefan Lovren, I mean, this is, this is just incredible. Stefan Lovren, Lovren said 
Lofven said just a few days ago, prepare for a rise in the number of deaths in Sweden. Prepare for it because this is going to be through the roof. And this is this is what is just crazy. Thousands of lives will be lost. Well, when you think about it, if you if you're <laughs> I mean, this is not funny. If you are saying that, well, we don't have to really restrict. We don't have to really do any restrictions on the population. We don't have to do any of that. We don't have to just go out there and, and act like everything's normal. And we're now seeing that he is now in a bind. He's had to do an about face on some of this because this stuff is sweeping through Sweden. And he told people to stay inside for Easter. And, you know, this is April 4th, he said. Well, you know, we may have to just prepare ourselves for this outcome that thousands of people could lose their lives. And this is going to last for months rather than weeks. So why was it that you had this more open policy of allowing people to mix and mingle while Denmark, which is a country that's slightly smaller and a slightly less populated place, has far, has an, has far less deaths because they had put into place a sweeping set of restrictions so now Denmark is looking at maybe loosening some of those or beginning to loosen them because Denmark had a smarter policy. They told people to sacrifice by staying indoors and they had all these other measures that has done that. We're seeing the same thing in Spain right now. Spain, which had so many deaths, so many cases, has also started to look at loosening restrictions. We're having the same thing happen even in Italy where there is a move now to try to loosen up restrictions. So why is Sweden now a, a country that was once so uh, vaunted in its, you know, in its way of living, in its protections, and still is in its protections, in its healthcare, and in its education system is really uh, one of the very best on the planet, is its uh, maternity leave policies, and its payments for maternity leave, and its wide-sweeping uh, look at how it deals with workers and, and workers' rights and workers' ability to have unions and workers' abilities to have a year-plus maternity leave and paid. Denmark does this too. So why on earth is Sweden, why on earth is Sweden doing this? I mean, is this kind of more liberal policy, this, this kind of libertarian, oh, it's a libertarian policy. Is this part of his coalition that's really informing this? Is it his coalition with these libertarian and right-wing parties like the Liberals Party, like the Liberal Party, like the uh, center-right party that he's also coalesced with to stay in power? Is that why he's now doing this? Is this one of their mandates? Because it is very much a libertarian idea to just let things spread. Just, you know, let the free market do what it wants to do. Let the people just enjoy their freedom. So they don't have to 
have any restrictions on it because government really shouldn't get in the way of restricting the freedoms of individuals. That's the classic libertarian model. Libertarianism says that people should be able to do what it is they please and should not have any regulation anywhere. And it seems to me that that is what is being reflected in some of these policies right now by Stefan Lofven, who is saying that, you know, well, you know, it's okay. You can still go out and have gatherings. And you see the pictures on Sky News and the video of people in Sweden mingling in the midst of a pandemic. It's very problematic. It's very problematic indeed. And the rates of infection in Sweden are going up. The rates in Sweden are going up. I don't know how Sweden and I don't know how Stefan Lofven can possibly justify this kind of situation. I, I, I actually scratch my head over this because I don't know in good conscience how somebody can even get away with the idea of such a thing. I've, I just don't get it, actually. How do people do this? I mean, Sweden, it, it's really, uh, you know, Sweden, again, uh, I am really at a loss for understanding this with Sweden. Sweden has 10,948 cases, according to Johns Hopkins University. They have a um, tally of these cases. Now, I said there were 8,000 deaths. That is incorrect. So I want to correct myself. Sweden does not have 8,000 deaths. But they do have... They do have a growing number of deaths. And as I've just said, Stefan Lofven said that the country is going to have to be prepared for thousands of deaths. This is utterly schizophrenic, quite frankly. And uh, without denigrating those who suffer from schizophrenia. Again, Sweden's cases are rising they are rising. I mean, they've passed South Korea. South Korea, uh, according to Johns Hopkins, 10,537 cases. South Korea is already looking at reopening, if it hasn't already. South Korea, I think, actually has been the country on the planet that has done the very best with dealing with this, along with China right behind it. People question China, but at least now what they're doing is they're beginning to open the country, province by province, Wuhan, has actually been reopened. And the testing continues, monitoring continues. It's highly invasive, though. This technology that's tracking people and, and all of that. I think there's benefits to an app saying, well, have you been in touch with, you, you know, letting you know whether you've been in touch with uh, someone who has this has tested positive for this virus. I think there's some good about that. But the problems are that there's this intense attack on your privacy. And I guess people in America, if we had that here and we we're already having Apple and Google get involved and that can only lead to, well, <laughs> I'm not so sure that I am comfortable with that either, especially Google. 
But that is part of this, this surveillance state that's going on that I do worry about. But I'm wondering again about Sweden. You know, South Korea, they tested people like crazy. 100,000 plus tests a day they were doing. They started off by 100,000 a week. And then within the next couple of weeks, it was 100,000 a day. And now Sweden has surpassed South Korea. Same thing with Germany. Germany, although their rate has recently crept up, I think that's though because they continue to test more and more people. Not that this virus is necessarily spreading as much. But Germany now is in the top five, according to... Gosh, this is so crude, isn't it, to be talking about, well, they're the top five. Like We're talking about the Billboard 100 music chart. It's very unsettling, actually. Because you see this on television, whether it's Sky News, whether it's MSNBC, CNN, they've got people standing in front of charts pointing at the graph and at numbers like they're doing some scoreboard report on a story in the sports world. It's very unsettling. As if they are standing in front of a board, the magic board, the magic wall, you know, John King of CNN here in the US pointing at the election board and saying, well, this precinct has this many votes left to be counted. That's how it sounds and looks when you're watching this on TV uh, regarding human beings' lives. It is really crude. And one reason why I switch off the television a lot, and I think it's not a bad idea to do so. But Sweden is an issue, a real issue. And this power-sharing thing only goes so far. And I wonder, with the Sweden Democrats waiting in the wings and nipping at the heels of this very strange coalition of social Democrats, really, you know, this is incredible. Uh, a left, far-left group coalescing with a center-right and libertarian group in the right wing with the ultra-right wing Sweden Democrats nipping at the heels from the sidelines. It's incredible because, you know, you don't need to have a majority in Sweden to govern. You only need to have a majority vote, vote down any kind of opposition to that uh, coalition or that group and in, in parliament. And if that happens, then the group with less control, you know, with the coalition control that's approved of wins. That's how it goes in Sweden. I may be not quite... Um, clear. I may not be describing that as clearly as I could, but basically, if you have a minority in Sweden, all that's required for you to stay in power is for a majority vote against the opposition, or a majority vote against your op against your coalition. It's just incredible stuff, and and now you've got Stefan Lofven, who previously had a, a social democratic government and, di and, and did not have to deal with these right-wingers in the liber liberal party or in the center-right party that's there, is now coalescing with them. And now you see these rates, these high rates of death now in Sweden or these higher rates of cases in Sweden. And I wonder again, is he doing this because he wants to stay in power? I think that is a yes. And is he doing this because he wants to keep the right-wing, extreme right-wing Sweden Democrats from power? And I think, yes, 
but he's willing to kill people, it seems, to do it. He's willing to risk a population in Sweden being thinned out with this evil herd immunity that it seems like a lot of right-wing and authoritarian governments are doing. I mean, Trump has talked about it here. Boris Johnson had talked about it. His chief medical officer had talked about it and then had to do an about-face on that. But this is definitely what I think is going on. You're seeing this in various parts of Europe. You're seeing this with Viktor Orban in Hungary. You're seeing this in, you were seeing this in Italy where their right-wing president, prime minister, um, was doing this. And and, And now everybody's behind closed doors in Italy still. And there is a rumor, or not a rumor, but there is there are just news stories about Italy looking at um, perhaps reopening at some point soon. But their rates are going down in Italy. The rates of death are going down. Testing is the key here. South Korea understood that. They didn't do any lockdown in South Korea. They tested like crazy. They tested anyone, everyone. Anybody in public was getting tested. Everybody in public was getting tested. Tested, drive through testing, testing before they even walked into a building, temperature testing, everything. They have the resources and the monies and the infrastructure to do that. And we have the resources and money here in the US, but we've just decided, no, we want to make profit here. We want to make money. So that's what Trump has done. And instead of getting these great tests from the WHO, he's attacking the WHO. He wants to withhold funding from them. But what I think is happening in Sweden is as unsettling. Because if a country like Sweden can start to go down this road, anybody can. And will it be a matter of time before the Sweden Democrats just get into power? Because people have had enough with this kind of tippy-toeing and balancing with these awkward and weird and bizarre and unholy political alliances. I mean, it has happened now in the UK. Boris Johnson got a stonking mandate a huge mandate last December with this coalition of people in, the, in his party joining the DUP and all this. And then before that, you had the coalition of people with, in his party under David Cameron joining with the Lib Dems. These coalitions are becoming more and more fragile. And as you have these extreme right-wingers and these far-right people, these racists on the far right, in the far-right spectrum, all of these groups are nipping at the heels of these fragile coalitions. And inevitably, what you're going to start to see, I hate to say it, but you're going to start to see these ultra-right-wing governments just take the whole lot over and say, to hell with this. Stop pretending. We're seeing this all over the world already. These far-right authoritarian governments, and they're responding to all of this fear that they are projecting themselves. And so the people vote them in and don't mind, it seems, in some cases, being fear-mongered to, being, you know, absolutely having their expectations lowered, being thrown to racism. They, they love it, it seems, some of the people who vote for these hard right-wing racist and authoritarian regimes. We're seeing this in Brazil with Bolsonaro, who is, I think, an utterly disgusting man, disgusting creature, wiping his nose in public and then shaking the hand of an elderly woman. I mean, Bolsonaro is disgusting. 
We're seeing this all over the world. We're seeing this with Trump here. And the answer to all of this is to get out and vote. He wants to destroy the postal service too here. We have to support our post office. We have to get out and vote. We have to now educate ourselves on voting. We have to now educate ourselves on registration to vote. We now have to get people together and make sure they're registered for this November. It's going to be a very strange year. It already has been a very sad, horrifying year. But we must not yield to fear. And Sweden, I think, is yielding to fear. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore.